Let us turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to leave with you the verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have a great high priest. With this verse, we really come to a new section which runs into chapter 5 and even beyond. And as we commence to look at this verse, the first thing that I would want to highlight is the verb to have. We have. Here's something that every child of God can say and ought to be able to say we have I highlight this word because I believe the Apostle Paul highlights it in the original text it is the first word it's the first verb that starts the thought having we have and literally it is having then a great high priest. This is something that you, child of God, ought to be assured about. And you ought to be able to say with certainty of faith, having, we have. So the Holy Spirit is putting the whole weight of the verse on that verb. We possess something. We own something that is wonderful, that is very special, and that is a great high priest. Not just a high priest, but a great high priest. This is a unique term in the Bible. You'll not find it anywhere else. You'll read about chief priests and high priests very often. But this is the only time we read of our great high priest. So it's a very unique expression. And Paul here is unmistakably telling us who that great high priest is that the people of God possess because it says there, Jesus, the Son of God. He is that great high priest. And so that's what you have to see. Seeing that, this is the thing the Holy Spirit has to show us. We can't have a better revelation than to see that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. And you have to say this to yourself all the time. Whenever you come to pray, every day, you say this. We have a great high priest. We can go to the throne of God. We can come into the presence of God. Whenever you confess your sins every day, you are to say this. We have a great high priest who we can confess our sins to. Whenever you think no one cares, whenever you think no one understands the burdens that you have, whenever you think that all love for you has departed and gone, you have to say, but I have a great high priest. You have. And whenever you come to die, 
as you will come to die and we'll all come to die and if we don't die suddenly which is a possibility we'll have a deathbed and whenever we're on our deathbed we'll have time to think and to reflect and this is one of the things that we will have to be saying to ourselves when we enter into the valley of the shadow of death we have a great high priest Jesus Christ and whenever the devil comes to you as he will come to you to accuse you and especially on your deathbed he'll be very active there to accuse you you're going to have to have the triumph of faith and say we have a great high priest so may the Lord always enable you to say that child of God in all the battle and in all the conflict and in all the troubles you go through we have seeing that we have a great high priest the devil will come to you and he'll say you have so many sins you have so many faults that's all I see Satan will say to you I see your faults I see how poor a Christian you are I see how, how often you've let the Lord down I see that you have little faith in fact Satan may even say I don't see that you have any faith at all and he'll always come and he'll accuse us and he'll always say we have this and we have that and we have the other but you know something he never tells us you have a great high priest. It's only the Holy Spirit tells you that. So you have to stop listening to the devil, child of God. And you have to start listening to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will tell you, you have a great high priest. So that's what we have to be able to say tonight. And as particularly, we have a great high priest. Now we have Jesus the Saviour. We have Jesus the Redeemer and all of these things we can reflect upon and think about. But in this epistle, the Apostle Paul, he wants us especially to know that we have Jesus, a great high priest. So we have to get back to this subject of Christ as priest. There are Christians, they hardly ever think of Jesus as high priest. There are Christians who think of Jesus in terms of having him in their heart. We have Jesus in our heart. And there's a place for that. But that's not the emphasis of the word of God. And that's especially not the emphasis of the epistle to the Hebrews. The epistle to the Hebrews is we have a great high priest. We have one in the heavens. We have one who's gone to the right hand of God. That's what we have. And that's what the Christian ought to think upon and to reflect upon. You have someone in the glory. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And we have to say we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. So we have to get back to this priestly ministry and this priestly work of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. The priestly office of Christ is too much neglected in the evangelical church. And we have to get back to it. And so this is an epistle that calls us back to what we should see that we have in Christ, one who is a great high priest. Do you know that this epistle was a great influence in the Protestant Reformation? You know, we need another Reformation. There's so many people who have gone back to Rome. We need another Reformation. There's so many people who are compromising with Rome. There's so many people shaking hands with Rome. There's so many people embracing Rome again. And we need to get back to the Protestant Reformation and to Protestant Reformation roots and especially to this epistle. 
Because there's no book in the Bible that will clear us up more about the errors of popery than the epistle to the Hebrews. And Protestants need to get back to the epistle to the Hebrews. And the reformers, they rediscovered this lost truth that believers have a great high priest. And they don't need any other. That he is the eschatological high priest, the last high priest, the only high priest that we need, the final high priest. And the reformers saw this. And they began to preach this. The priestly office of Jesus Christ. And they began to say, you have a great high priest, you don't need any other. So you see, Christianity lay concealed under popish priestcraft. The Roman Catholic Church, and indeed the Eastern Orthodox Church, they highlighted mediating priests. They highlighted priests that continue. Priests that are sacrificing mediating priests who offer up Christ on the Mass, in the Eucharist, as they say. And even to this day, they have a priesthood of priests offering at the altar. And they talk about priests, they can call them priests, that's our priest, and that's our altar there, that's our stone altar, that's where we have the mass or whatever, the sacrifice of the mass. And they don't seem to see that it's all done away in Jesus Christ. And so our text, it hasn't really hit home to the Roman Catholics. Why? Why do they still have priests? Why do they rely so highly on priests? Why do they have priests that are sacrificing? And the answer is because of tradition. Wrong tradition. Now there's a place for tradition. The Bible is the final authority and an infallible word of God. Tradition's not infallible. And it's not the final authority. But a lot of traditions that are passed on in the Christian church are good and biblical and we keep them and we follow them. But there are other traditions that have entered in that are man-made. And they, they don't stand up to the scriptures. And we have to jettison them because of what the Bible says. And that's how the Reformation came about. The false traditions had to be jettisoned. Because of the teaching of the word of God. Because the reformers discovered that the word of God was the final authority. That scripture alone had divine authority in the church of God. The Bible alone, the word of God... Not tradition, but the scriptures. And this is why Paul has commenced this chapter with verse 12. The word of God is quick and powerful. You see, he's bringing us to God's word. And he's going to cut through the traditions. And he's going to cut through the types. And he's going to cut through the shadows of the Old Testament priesthood. And let us see the reality, the fulfillment, the substance and all those cut up pieces of the types, we don't any longer need them. Because we have the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So he's cutting through the shadows and the traditions and the priestly rigmarole, bringing us to see Christ alone is our great high priest. And that's what the Reformed Church teaches. And that's why the Reformed Church doesn't have mediating priests. We don't have anybody in here we call a priest. Why? Because of the epistle to the Hebrews. 
We have a great high priest that's gone into the heavens. We don't need one on the earth. We've got a saviour in Jesus Christ alone. We don't need anybody else. So the true church has Christ alone, the great high priest. One priest, one sacrifice, one offering forever. And you know, that's why the Reformed Church broke away from Rome. It was necessary, brethren and sisters, to break away from Rome. Because Romanism, with its priestcraft, and with its altar of sacrifice, was Antichrist, opposing the glory of Christ in his supremacy as high priest. And the Reformers and the great Protestant confessions, they are very clear in this. It wasn't just that there were a few errors in the Church of Rome, a few things that needed tidied up. No, the errors of Rome hit at the heart of the gospel. They hit at the heart of this epistle to the Hebrews. And we believe that Romanism is Antichrist. And therefore we cannot compromise with it. And we certainly can't go back to it. The truth of God is at stake here. And the glory of Christ's priestly office is at stake here. Whenever we're tempted to compromise with popery, we have to say every day, we have a great high priest in the heavens. That, that's him. That's all we need. The Lord Jesus. And so Romanism does not hold the profession here that Paul wants us to hold. Zingley, one of the early reformers, he said that Christ is the one eternal high priest. From this we deduce that all those who pretend to be high priests oppose the honour and power of Christ. Indeed, they reject it. And that's true. And recently we had the burial of one of the late popes. And he stands in an office of high priest and sacrifices and offers the mass. We're not talking about the universal priesthood of all believers. That's different. That's completely different. The universal priesthood of all believers is just offering praise and thanks. But we're talking about priests who are offering up offering sacrifice, offering up Christ. That is contrary to the scriptures. Calvin said, The more detestable, therefore, is the fiction of those who, not content with the priesthood of Christ, have dared to take it upon themselves to sacrifice him. A thing daily attempted in the papacy, where the mass is represented as a sacrificing of Christ. And so that's why we have to say daily, we have a great high priest. And the Protestant church should be saying that. And evangelical circles, they shouldn't be departing from this. That's why they're going back to Rome. Because they've, lo- they've lost the centrality of the priestly work of Jesus Christ. So this priesthood is one of offering and substitutionary offering. And that's what we're talking about. Not the universal priesthood of all believers. Which is a totally different doctrine. And not referred to at all in this epistle to the Hebrews. Well why then is Jesus Christ alone high priest? And why do we no longer have high priests on earth? And the answer is, in that word, great. Because Jesus is the great high priest. There can be no one else. The idea of Christ greater than others 
is a constant theme throughout this epistle to the Hebrews. We've been seeing that all the time. We've seen that Christ is greater than the prophets. He's the greatest prophet. He's the one who enlightens us even now. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than Adam. He's greater than Abraham because he takes the seed of Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He brings us alone himself into the heavenly rest. And now Paul brings in two new Old Testament characters to show us that he's the great high priest. Uh, And the first one is Aaron, chapter 5, verse 4. No man taketh this honour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So Aaron was high priest. Then he brings in another priest there in verse 6, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And you read of both of these priests in the writings of Moses. So he's bringing in these two, two priests and he's saying he's greater than Aaron. He's greater than Melchizedek. Just as he's greater, greater than all these other people that we've mentioned by Paul. Because he is the one alone. That is the reality, the fulfillment, the substance. And that's why he's greater than, than all of these. And that's what I'm looking at very quickly through the reasons why he's greater than Aaron and greater than Melchizedek and the greatest of all. He is greatest because he is the last. He is the eschatos. He is the fulfillment. He is the reality. There but types. There but pictures. There but shadows. There but forerunners who are setting forth the great one who is to come. That's all they are. They're prophecies. Aaron's a prophecy. Melchizedek's a prophecy. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the substance. Jesus Christ is the one being pointed to. And now he has come. And he's gone into the heavens. And he is the fulfillment of all. And he's the one that we have to trust. You can't trust him in a, in a priest of Rome. You can't trust in an Anglican priest, priest or any other kind of priest. The only one you can trust in is Christ, who is pointed to by Aaron, who is pointed to by Melchizedek. And we never say we have Aaron, and we have priests here about us like Aaron, and we have priests here that dress up every week like Melchizedek, and they stand at the altar every week like the, the priests in the temple. No, we, we don't talk like that. That's not New Testament language. That's not the New Testament profession of faith. Rome is wrong. The Eastern Orthodox are wrong on this. The Reformed Church is right. We have a great high priest in the heavens. That's where he is. So, so that's the first thing. He is great because Aaron and Melchizedek, all these other ones are just the pictures and prophecies. And then he's greater because what does the verse say? We have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus. He's greater because he is Jesus. This great high priest is Jesus. It's not Aaron. It's not Melchizedek. It's not, you know, Benedict, this or that or the other. No, it's Jesus. A great high priest, Jesus. Now in this epistle, you will know that the Apostle Paul is always making a careful use of the names of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And one of the names that he uses, not very often, is the name Jesus. I think 13 times he uses the name Jesus in his epistle. And one of those refers to Joshua. And sometimes he calls him Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Sometimes Lord Jesus. But most often, I think about six or seven, he just calls him Jesus. And you have to note those occurrences where the word Jesus occurs on its own. They're very interesting. They're worth a study. Uh, We see Jesus. You remember how he said in chapter 2 verse 9, we see Jesus. And now he's saying, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And he, he brings in this name very carefully. And it's a most precious name to the Apostle Paul. And you remember in chapter 12, he says, looking on to Jesus. This dear Jesus. How he brings this name in. Uh, seeing him, uh, having him, looking on to him. There's only one. Jesus. That's all the Christian church has. That's all the Christian church needs. Jesus. Jesus only. And Paul knows very well that what this name means. Because you know, child of God, that Jesus was a common name in Israel. There were, there were many people called Jesus. After Joshua. And especially those who belonged to the tribe of Joshua. They would have called their children Jesus, Joshua. Uh, but in the Christian church, we know that there's only one person who has that name by divine authority. There's only one person who is that name. There's only one who owns that name by right. And that's our dear Lord, Jesus. And Paul knows very well what this name means. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he, he alone, shall save his people from their sins. So there's only one saviour, only one Jesus, and only one great high priest in that Jesus. And so here is the true Joshua, the true Jesus, who alone takes away our sin, who alone gives us the rest, who alone brings us into the heavenly land of promise. And he does that. And this is the thing Paul is bringing out. He only does that as high priest. He can't save us if he's not high priest. He only is a saviour as high priest. In this sacrifice. In this ministry of intercession for sinners. Only as high priest can he do that. And the Protestant church needs to get back to that. Not just I take Jesus as my saviour. I take Jesus as my saviour high priest. And my prophet and my king. And he saves me as those. In that office of mediator and redeemer. And especially in that office as, as high priest. And I want you to notice that this text, verse 14, is very carefully arranged by Paul. We've noticed the verb of emphasis at the start. We possess, we have. But he carefully arranges this name Jesus. How does he do that, you ask? Well, there are 15 Greek words in the verse. And Jesus is put in the very middle. Number 8. He so arranges it so that Jesus is in the very middle. The very heart. We have Jesus. He's in the heart of our religion. He's at the heart of our salvation. He's at the very heart of us going to God and going to heaven. Only Jesus. Not Jesus and the Pope. Not Jesus and the saints. Not Jesus and this priest and that priest and some other high priest. No, only 
Jesus. We have Jesus at the heart of all. And Jesus alone. At the very heart of our confession. The only saviour. The only redeemer. Because the only high priest. That's why we see Jesus only. That's why we're looking on to Jesus alone. You remember how the apostle. He's talked about all the men of faith. In chapter 11. But he says we're just looking on to Jesus. Not the men of faith. Yes, they're an example, they're a pattern, but they don't have the power to bring us to glory. We're just looking on to Jesus to do that. So that's why he is alone the great high priest, because he alone is saviour. He alone is Jesus. And he doesn't save outside his priestly office and without his priestly office, but he saves through his priestly office. And Protestants need to get back to this doctrine. And I believe this is one of the reasons why Protestants are no longer opposing Rome the way they ought. Because they've lost their grip of this doctrine, of its importance. And it's because Christ's priestly glory is not seen by them that they so easily depart to popery again. So the evangelical church has to get back to Hebrews and get back to Christ as high priest. And the Reformed Church can never, ever allow that subject to become obscure or to be hidden or concealed. And that is why we refuse all other priests, as I say. We don't even give that name to ministers or to the clergy or whatever, to elders or deacons, because we have only one, Jesus. But then there's something else here that the Apostle says, telling us why he's great and why there's no one else can have this office and the glory of this saving position. He's the son of God. We have a great high priest. Why is he great? Why is he greater than Aaron? Why is he greater than Melchizedek? Because he's the son of God. That's why he has a unique relationship to God. He has a relationship to God that Aaron didn't have, that Melchizedek didn't have, that no one else ever had. He's a relationship to God that angels don't even have. He's the special, unique Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. He has that closeness to God that alone can bring us to God. He's the bosom Son, you see. And this is very important. And this is why Paul brings us in here. Christ is the Son of God. You remember how he's been spending so long showing us that in chapter 1. How God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son. And who's the Son of God? Well, he's the brightness of God's glory. He's the very express image of his person. You know, whenever it talks about Jesus as the Son of God, it's not that he's made a Son of God or adopted to be a Son of God or becomes a Son of God. He is eternally the Son of God. He partakes of the one undivided divine essence by generation. Now, we don't know what that means. Who can tell what's going on in the essence of God? But all the simplicity, the oneness of the divine essence, Jesus receives and participates in that by generation from the Father. So that he is equal with the Father in power and glory. He is all that God is. He has the divine nature through divine sonship. And it's an undivided nature. There are not two or three divine natures. There's only one divine nature. 
And the Father has it, and the Son has it, and the Holy Spirit has it. And the Son of God has it by generation from the Father, and the Spirit has it by spiration from the Father and the Son, the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of God. So there are three persons. And the second person in the Godhead, he became man. And there can't be any greater priest than that. One who has come from God, taken our nature to bring us to God. He's the only high priest. There's no one else can do it. And whenever God sent Christ into the world, it was his son that he sent into the world. It was his only begotten. And so the, the sonship of Christ is very important. And it's here at the heart of this text. Jesus is son of God. Why do we want the Pope? Why do we want Aaron? Why do we want to go back to the temple again and all these high priests that dress up every day and every year? Why do we want to go back to that? Let's hold fast our profession. We have a great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God. So that's what the Apostle is, is saying here. And the power of Christ's priesthood is related to his humanity because he had to offer up his body and his blood as a sacrifice. But it's also related to his deity. He can only be the priest we need because he is God as well as man. And Jesus Christ is God, brethren and sisters. Don't ever forget it. And don't ever doubt it. The eternal Son of God. And it's not enough that God just raise up any kind of priest. He has to give us some to be that priest that we need. And Jesus has said, so, so Christ didn't glorify himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my only Son, this day have I begotten thee. And so he has an eternal high priest because he's the eternal Son. But then he's a great high priest because it says there, verse 14, that he's passed into the heavens. We don't read that of any other priest. Melchizedek, Aaron. We don't read that they passed into the heavens. But our priest did. You remember how it says that he entered into heaven itself and he sat down at the right hand of God. What does it say there at the start of Hebrews after he had purged our sins and made the sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, our priest rose from the dead. He's alive, he's living, after he made purification for sins. And this is very important because the effectualness of the sacrifice is made known to people because he is a high priest who is living and interceding and bringing the application of that sacrifice to the lives of sinners. So he is a king priest. Aaron wasn't a king priest. Now Melchizedek was a king. He was a type of him in that regard. He was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. So, so Melchizedek was a good type. But Jesus Christ is the reality. He's the king priest. The one at the right hand of God. The living priest. And you can't get any higher than that or any better than that. Well, why would you go and confess your sins to a priest? Why would you trust in the sacrifice on the altar of a mediating priest? No, there's only Jesus who's in the heavens itself in the very sanctuary of God in the very presence 
of the Father. And we can come boldly onto the throne of grace because we have a great high priest that is there. That's all you need, you see. So keep trusting him. Keep looking to him. Keep believing in him. And then the apostle here adds, we have to hold fast our profession. What does it say there? Seeing that we have a great high priest, let us hold fast our profession. And that's what you have to do, people of God. You have to keep confessing this. You have to keep saying, I'm not going to let this go. This is my only hope. This is all I have. This is all I need. Jesus, the Son of God, in the heavens, as my great high priest. Bless the Lord, I have him. Bless the Lord, I can come to him. Bless the Lord, I'm trusting in him. I'm looking to him alone. And it's enough. And it is enough. So keep holding fast that confession. Keep holding fast that profession. Now, I think this is the first time that the apostle uses this verb, hold fast. It's a very interesting verb. He has a number of verbs for maintaining the steadfastness of your faith. And he throws them in at different times. But this is one that he's, he puts in here for the first time. Hold fast. It is quite frequent in the New Testament. The first time that we read it was concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how he came into the, the, the room of death? Jairus' little daughter was dead. And what does the Bible say? He took her hand. He held fast her hand. He didn't just take it and put it down again. He held it fast. Her little hand. He wasn't going to let it go until she lived. And he held her hand. He says, little maid, I say unto you, arise. And he didn't let her hand go until she lived, until she arose. And that's what you have to do, child of God. You have to hold fast your profession. You have to hold fast the hand of Jesus. You have to hold fast the great high priest and not let it go until you enter into the heavenly glory, until you get into heaven itself. Hold it fast. Hold fast to the Lord to the end. And don't let it go. So that's what you have to do until you live in his presence. To grasp it, to keep it, to trustingly hold that confession, to lovingly hold that confession, to solitarily hold that confession and nothing else, no other priest, this alone, till you arrive into the heavenly rest. You know, it is a word that Jesus liked to use as our great high priest. You'll remember that he came to the seven churches in Asia, the book of the Revelation. He came as high priest, you know. He was dressed up as a priest. He appeared as a priest in the midst. And whenever he comes to the different churches, this is a verb that he uses quite a bit. Whenever he's speaking to the churches. For example, he said to one of them, Hold fast that which you have, that which you possess. Hold it fast till I come. And then to another church he says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take your crown. Hold it fast. And this is what Paul is saying to the Christians. You do that. That's what the high priest wants you to do. He's a high priest who calls you to hold fast. Let no man take your crown. Child of God, may you do that 
today and in the days ahead. Keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on trusting in the Redeemer. Keep on making use of the office of Christ as high priest. Holding it fast to the end. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful great high priest we do possess. And we do possess. And he possesses us, which is even more important. And he doesn't let us go. And that's why we can't let him go either. To him be glory and praise.